past Thursday was a lot like other special occasions. You take Thanksgiving, you take Christmas, you take anniversaries, you take birthdays, anything where we come together to celebrate, we often do that around food, which means that we gather and we sit down at a table. You know, we're living in a culture today where most families are on the go so much that they don't even know what their table looks like. Because a lot of times you're eating in the car, going from one place to another, or maybe you're home and, and everything's still so rushed that you get the, the TV tray out or you just sit in the chair or whatever the case may be. Wasn't it great Thursday just to sit around a table and look at family and friends and have conversation. Those times are special. Those are the times where you want to capture and you want to hold together because those moments are few and far between. But you know, when you think about it, it really doesn't have to be that way, does it? We're the ones to decide if we're going to take the time to actually sit down with one another as family and enjoy that time together. But when you stop and think about it, the most memorable meals are not memorable because of the entree or the dessert, even though that is good and that is something special. But what's memorable hopefully should be the company of those that you're with. What's memorable should be the conversations that are taking place at that table. If you think about it, there are other days of the year where we have our separate families, we have our separate lives, our separate careers, but it's these holiday times that brings us together for that common meal around that table. I love the movie, Remember the Titans. And I especially like the part where the football coach, Herman Boone, takes his team for an early morning run into the darkness. And so he goes through the darkness and they run through the woods and the creeks until they end up at the graveyard and the battlefield of Gettysburg. And there he calls upon the boys who are struggling in a white and black issue at the time. And his issue was this. You've got to learn sooner or later to get along. You've got to learn sooner or later that what matters is not your color, but what matters is that you're on the same team. What matters is you're not fighting against one another. You're not playing against one another, but you're on the same team. And so he goes to the graveyard to teach those boys a lesson from the dead. And here's what Coach says. He says this green field painted red, bubbling with blood of young boys. Listen to their souls, men. He goes on to say, I killed my brother with malice in my heart and hatred destroyed my family. You listen. He says, you take a lesson from the dead. If we don't come together right now on this hallowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. And so this morning, just like we do 
every week as we gather as a church, as we gather as the community of faith, as we gather as a body of believers, we are asked to take a lesson from the one who was dead, but who lives on forevermore. And that shouldn't be a time that we dread, or it shouldn't be a time that, oh, here we go in our service again, it's, it's communion time. That should be a time where we long for. And in our minds, we realize this is what it's all about. This is why I'm here. This is why God breathed life into me only to have his son go to the cross and die in order that we could have life once again. And so he's called each one of us to step up on that hallowed ground and eat with him and with one another. And the beautiful thing as we come together around his table, here's what we begin to realize. When we look around, we see family. Look around this morning. Just go ahead and look around. Look behind you. Look to the side. This is your family, church. And what we're reminded of, just like Coach Boone reminded his team, we are not fighting against one another. We're on the same team. We have the same mission. And when Jesus came on the scene, what we began to realize is this. His mission was for our sakes. His mission and his vision that he had for life included us. And so when he looked into the faces and the eyes of the people from all walks of life, he didn't look down upon them or push them aside. Instead, he invited people to his table. I love how William Williman puts it. He says, thank goodness Jesus did not proclaim his kingdom by preaching abstract words like reconciliation, liberation, or atonement. For the sake of us poor animals, he ate and drank with sinners. He invited all to the table. He was among them as a deacon, as a waiter, as a butler, as a servant, rather than a master. He proclaimed the kingdom by forming his kingdom around a table. Did you hear that? He proclaimed a kingdom by forming his kingdom around a table where he reminds us each week that we are welcomed to come and sit with him. And so when you think about it, the table that Jesus has prepared for us should be a table of expectation. And so the communion that he shares with us inspires anticipation that this is not the end, that we continue to live on because Christ lives on. Three different times in the gospel, in Luke 15, in Mark chapter 2, and in Matthew chapter 11, I'm so thankful that the disgraceful 
charge they made against Jesus was true. And you see this phrase. It says, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That he welcomes us to the table is still our reason for the hope that we have. And I want you to turn to a scene this morning in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 24, as they're walking together on the road to Emmaus. I want you to see the transformation that takes place. Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to start in verse 18. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. And then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said that his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He took them back to a history lesson. But here's what, here's what happens. Jesus is beginning to reveal himself at the table. And he takes them through this sequence of events and he takes them through this story. And what we begin to realize is that Jesus had been raised from the dead earlier in the day. And there have been all these confused sightings and reports of him. But here's what happens. In this story, which is so unique to Dr. Luke, here's what he does. Divine presence and human freedom intersect to produce faith. Do you see that? You have divine presence. You have this freedom that he's given us as humans, but they come together to produce faith. A faith that says even though we didn't see it, we are called to believe it. And so every Sunday as we gather around the table, even though we didn't see Jesus hanging on the cross, in our minds and in our hearts, we can't help but believe by faith that it happened. And we believe that. Why, church? Because God said it. And if God said it, it must be true. And all of that was for our sakes. And so here you have 
this chance meeting, if you want to call it, between two disciples and the risen Christ. And I love the conversation that takes place along that road. I mean, think about it. How fascinating is it? You have two men, only one of whom is named and about whom we really know absolutely nothing else about. And they're walking along with Jesus. And they tell him about his life and about their career. But they don't recognize him because Luke says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That seems to be a clever way of saying even more than he actually says. Because their blindness was more than just a matter of being caught off guard. Because here's what Jesus does. And you remember this in the Gospels. He never forced himself on anyone. And he wasn't about to start here. So he would let them recognize him slowly and gradually and at a pace that they were comfortable with because he allows us, if you think about it, to come to faith the same way. Instead of just slamming it down somebody's throat and saying, this is what you need to believe, he allows each person, day by day, to be transformed. He allows each one of us to read for ourselves the stories. And what we begin to realize is this. When we read this story called the Bible, what we begin to realize is each one of us is in the story because we're included. This is for us. And by faith, he calls each one of us not just to read it, but he calls each one of us to enter into the story. He calls each one of us to enter into the story and to be transformed so that our lives can be changed every time we encounter the risen Christ. If you remember, Cleopas almost preached the gospel to Jesus. He told about the death and the burial and he reported but as yet unverified to his satisfaction the resurrection. And so the story would have been incomplete unless Jesus added the resurrection, which he did. But then, look in verse 28. By this time they're coming near Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he were just going to keep on going. And they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. And so he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And when he did that, what happened? Their eyes, the text says, suddenly were opened. And what did they do? Remember at the beginning of the story, they were kept from recognizing him. And now as the story continues, what happened? Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, 
What does he do? He disappears. He took the bread. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them. If you go back to Luke 22, very familiar language that we see two chapters before. But do you see here? Jesus is the host. And he invites people to sit down at his table. And so if you stop and think about it, if he's the host, he has every right to determine who should be there and who should not. He's the host. If you're the host in your home, you have every right to decide who's going to enter in that door and who's not. And the beautiful thing is this. He welcomes with open arms all of those who will come to his table and deny themselves and follow after him. Because he knows if you'll do that, not just one time, but we know, we do that every day of life, don't we? We deny ourselves, we take up that cross and we serve a risen Savior. And so gathered at the table in his name, Jesus does an amazing thing. He reveals himself and he makes his transforming power felt through the supper. And so every time that we gather and as we take communion, and as we participate together, I pray that we feel in our presence that not only is he with us, but I pray that we feel the power that he makes available to each one of us. And so just as we do every week, we're going to come to the table again. We're going to eat. We're going to drink, and we're going to live life to his glory. And as we do that, we're going to be reminded through this song about the old rugged cross that he died upon. And it was upon that cross that he died where we received life forevermore.